0: Okay, good. I feel special. Well, hello, Echo Church. You are famous in the Stockman household, okay? So I feel finally I get to meet the famous ones. Justin Stockman adores you and just speaks so highly about who you are and his love for this country and this church. So he sends his greetings through me, okay? Okay. This is the female version of, of the Stockman marriage. <laughs> and uh, how highly favored are you that Justin and Lee Box are your senior leaders? What in the world? I mean, if, if you have ever doubted that the Lord loves you, you just need to look in their faces and be like, whoa, I changed my mind. <laughs> Talk about phenomenal people. Wow. And how brilliant are they that they flew the noons family over from the United States of America to empower them to be pastors in your environment? Now you literally, it's illegal if you don't think God loves you. <laughs> okay? Like, illegal. Like, repent. Repent. Okay? They're some of our best friends in the whole wide world. So you hug them every Sunday, 45 million times, but ask first, because that might not feel like love for some of them. <laughs> okay, I, I, I fell in love with your young women. What, where, where are the young ladies that were at the retreat? I mean, I laughed so hard. My cheeks are still recovering. I mean, they always look like this, but (laughs) they're definitely still recovering. You guys are just some beautiful, beautiful people. We had a good time. Did we have a good time? We had such a good time. We're gonna keep having a good time all week. Uh, So you guys, I brought my fifth child, which is my book baby back there. Can everybody turn around and look at my book baby? it's right there standing in all of its glory. I definitely carried that one longer than nine months. Okay. So I'm just going to take a moment of silence and say, hello, it's good to see you. And that is my heart, my whole entire heart in word form for you. So, uh, you know, the Bible is my favorite book. That's my second favorite book because it's my story. And, you know, the most important person to fall in love with your story is you. Because in all the stories you'll hear throughout the whole of your life, there's only one where you get the leading role. You can't jump into Lee's story and take the leading role. You can't jump into Bill Johnson's. You can't jump into any of your heroes. You've got one shot at taking the leading role in a story, and it's your own. And when we actually give ourselves permission to face the hard things and start walking intimately through our story with the Holy Spirit and give ourselves permission to fall in love with what he's done in our life, we start to fall in love with the author. <laughs> the author and the finisher of our faith. So, you know, that is the good, the bad, the ugly, the I didn't think I was re- going to recover. It's all in that book. And, you know, <laughs> there's some low spots in my story. Anybody else have any? You're like, can we just never talk about that again? That'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> and when I was writing the book, you know, I, I really did it intoxicated out on my back deck. I mean, I just wrote like a drunk person. Like, oh, and then this happened. And then this happened. And I've never been drunk, but I just assume from what, what it feels like to be drunk in the Holy Spirit, there was just no filter. I just told the whole story like I didn't care what anybody else thought. And then I read it sober. And I was like, what? What just happened? Why would you do that? You know, and um, you know, I I began a journey of realizing, oh, I still got some shame here, and you know, the the Lord began to walk me through a process of. I would be like, is it really necessary to tell that story? Nobody wants to read about that, you know. And I remember Him saying, you know, if you only show the world your highlight reel, all they'll ever get is you. But if, if you tell the whole story, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and if you're as generous with your success as you are with your failure, then they're going to get me. And I remember reading Peter Scazzaro's book, and he was talking about, you guys have been doing a series on soul health, right? He's a great resource for soul health. And um, he said, healthy leaders talk about their failures as effortlessly as they do about their successes. And he took, he took, took me to the life of David. And, you know, David was the most powerful person on the planet at the time. He had all the wealth and resources to write history really however he wanted. And he used all of his influence to make sure the low places were documented just like the high places. When he could have used his authority to blot it out forever. And none of us would have ever known about Bathsheba, about killing people. I mean, he he was the man after God's heart and did all this stuff. And how much hope does that give us to know nothing qualifies you to be a friend of God but the blood of Jesus. And, you know, he pointed out that King David went so far as to put his failure in a psalm. It's in the Bible in a song, and the people of God had to sing it when they went to the tabernacle. And I instantly felt the Holy Spirit say, Would you rather put it in a song? (laughs) I said, A book's fine. (laughs) So, you guys, the whole story's back there if you're interested. Okay? Before I get started, I have a word for Lee that I'm supposed to release publicly. Can we welcome her up here? I'm going to prophesy. She's going to own it right now, everything we talked about this weekend. She's so happy to be seen and celebrated. Can you see how happy she is? She's giving us the honor to do what the people of God do best echo heaven. Turn around, let all these people see your beautiful face. (laughs) Listen, I felt so specifically uh, the Lord say, Prophesy over her, Jeremiah 1. And listen to this. This is from the Father. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And behold, I put my words in your mouth. I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And I, I just felt the father say, you are my echo. <laughs> and I have anointed you to set my people free, to live inside of my voice. And I, I saw this process from before you were born that the Lord has been taking you by the hand to prepare you for such a time as this. And there was this party going on in heaven because this is the season of your commissioning. This is the hour of your anointing that you've been being prepared for to step on the scene in a brand new way. And I feel him highlighting more than ever before your prophetic anointing, that you are an arrow in the hand of the Lord, and you are the sharpest point of his arrow, and there is a tenderness and a kindness coming through your life straight from the Father's heart, and I saw him put a crown on your head and said, it's your Esther season, and that I see the trust that has built between you and the Father, and I I heard him smile and say, I trust her heart for my people. And there's a selfless attribute that looks just like Jesus. And I saw you stepping before the people the Lord had given you and saying, if I perish, I perish. And there's a a selfless Christ-likeness that says, I'm here to use my authority to benefit others, to benefit my nation. And I see I see his voice echoing and reverberating through you like never before. And everyone in heaven is taking this huge sigh of excitement that this is your hour. This is your time to arise and shine. And faces you've yet to see have been waiting for this moment. They're waiting for the sound of the freedom that your voice brings, the hope that your voice brings. And so I just felt like we're supposed to release our hands to Lee and we just say as a community of believers, as sons and daughters in the house of the living God, that we are better because you're here. That we are better because of your anointing. That we are richer because of the the stunning grace that's resting on your life and that we are less without you at the table. And so we just celebrate today that the Father is out a new seat. It's a season of promotion. It's a season of arising and shining without apology. Because a nation is waiting for your courage. A nation is waiting for your pure heart to step onto the scene. And so we honor you as an Esther in this generation. And I I see you're gifting for details, that your eye has been trained by the Lord. And I saw you in the cabin of a ship, and you were considering things that no one else was considering. And I felt like he wanted to affirm, tell her, thank you for caring about what I care about. Tell her, thank you for valuing what I value. And Whatever anointing and grace is on my life, I just release it. I impart it. I add it to yours. I mix it in with yours. And I just thank you for this day of commissioning. And we just celebrate who you are in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I felt like that was the most important thing I do today, but we could stay a little longer. (laughs) If you guys want to open to Mark 4, just kidding. No, yeah, Mark 4. No, Mark 5. (laughs) Mark 5. Um, We're going to start in verse 1. And it says, they arrived at the other side of the lake. At the region of the Gerasenes, and as Jesus stepped ashore, a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him. And you know, the first question I ask when I read that is, he stepped ashore from where? They were arriving from the other side of the lake. From where? That this is actually a continuation of another story. And so, uh, when that happens, I always like to look for the full context of what's happening. And so, flip flip back over to four and let's see where were they coming from because everything we see Jesus doing in the gospels is intentional there's this verse that I love where Jesus says I absolutely know where I'm going I absolutely know why I'm going there and and his confidence is stunning so he had an intention in heading to the other side of the lake and it it says in Mark 4 verse 35 Later that day, after it grew dark, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And he absolutely had on his mind the man who had lived, was living in a tomb and had legions of demons, right? We know the story. And he sent the crowd away and got in the boat. And this is the famous story of Jesus sleeping in the cabin of the ship. And remember The storm went crazy and the disciples were freaking out. And and they say, "Uh, teacher, don't you even care that we are all about to die? And Jesus said, we're heading to the other side of the lake. I have some stuff I got to do over there. And, you know, a huge storm erupts and they feel like they're going to die. And if you could just imagine if the story of the gospel ended here, like they thought it was going to end here, it was like, and then the savior of the whole world sunk in a ship, <laughs> you know, and then the Messiah who bankrupted heaven to come to earth and be born a, from a virgin, a, a storm killed him. <laughs> the end, you know. <laughs> if it's not good. It's not over. As long as Jesus is in the ship, we're going to be fine. You know, and they're freaking out. And Jesus gets up and says, hush, be calm. And instantly the storm dissipates. And he turns to the disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? But they were overwhelmed with fear and, and awe and said to one another, who is this man who has such authority that even the wind and the waves obey him. And this entire experience was an opportunity for them to upgrade their understanding and their vision of how big God is. They didn't have a vision of Jesus that he was bigger than their storm. And you know how big your Jesus is by how stressed out you get in what's storming about you. Is your Jesus bigger than your storm? And in their scenario, he absolutely wasn't. And the question was, who is this? And the most appropriate question in any storm we're navigating in life is, who does Jesus want to be for me? Who is this? Who is this God who's never going to leave me? He's never going to forsake me. He's always with me. Who is this? And they were stunned that even the wind and the waves obeyed him. What They, they didn't have a picture of Jesus that he actually spoke the water into existence. There, were, there, were, there wasn't even a capacity for storms before Jesus. Like, Before there was even water, he was. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And they got so familiar with the person of Jesus that they were stunned that a storm would listen to him. And he actually spoke water into existence. Of course the water's gonna obey. The water wouldn't be there without the sound of his voice. He's eternal God. And what we have to be careful with when we've been walking with the lord for a long time is we get so familiar with the truth of jesus that we forget to let it reverberate through every scenario in our life that oh man the god who created heaven and earth is inside of my ship and you know how big is your jesus is he bigger than the current storm you're walking through and there's no shame there's no blame because that died at the cross. But there's just good information. <laughs> and the good information is, I have a tiny Jesus. And I think, I think the gospel in my life could end with this storm. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so after they make it to the other side, they arrive. And they step ashore. And a demon-possessed madman came out of the graveyard and confronted him. So Jesus... There was a story of Jesus getting to this madman before they actually got to the madman. And the madman ran out and confronted Jesus. And sometimes it's easy to think, I found Jesus. <laughs> like, like the madman could have thought, I see Jesus, I'm going to run to him. I'm the initiator in this relationship. I'm, an, I'm the initiator in this encounter I'm about to have with Jesus. But what we have to understand in the gospel is nothing begins with you. Nothing in the gospel, every encounter you have ever had with the person of Jesus has a story behind it. That you maybe thought you saw him from a distance and went running, but he intentionally said, hey, let's go find Jen. And and the very heartbeat of the gospel is that, First love found you. And, you know, we have a famous verse in Revelation that says, never leave your first love. And it's what success looks like. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. The Passion Translation says, with every thought that you think. But first love isn't the time in your life where you were most passionate about Jesus. And you think back, like, oh, man, I remember when I lived at the prayer chapel 24-7 and all I could think about was Jesus and I prayed for everybody on crutches. I pulled that guy out of a wheelchair and I said, walk, and then he slid to the ground. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Jesus. Like, that, that's not first love. First love is when did you wake up to a God who first loved you? He first loved you so we could love him. And first love is revisiting when I was yet a sinner, you died for me. When I had nothing to contribute to this relationship. When I was so broken, so wounded, I wanted to give up on life. And literally had a handful of pills in my hand. That's when first love starts to wake up in your heart. First love has nothing to do with you. First love has everything to do with a God who is love. And when we start to feel our passion for Jesus waning, it's not something we stir up. We don't go on a fast for 30 days. That's not the time you sit down and you read 50 chapters of the Bible. That's the time you revisit the gospel. Tell me the story again. Oh, yeah, I had nothing. You know, Ephesians says, you contributed zero to your salvation. How much did we contribute? I contributed zero. If how we start in the kingdom is how we finish in the kingdom. You started with zero contribution to your holiness. Ephesians says, you have been made one with Jesus because of who he is, not because of who we are. And passion starts to erupt in our heart when we let go of our striving. We let go of our performing and we receive. And, you know, there was a story of Jesus crossing a sea to get to this madman. And he, he runs out and confronted Jesus. And in verse 3, it says, the man had been living there among the tombs of the dead, and no one was able to restrain him, not even with chains. For every time they attempted to chain his hands and feet with shackles, he would snap the chains and break the shackles in pieces. He was so strong that no one had the power to subdue him. Day and night he could be found lurking in the cemetery or in the vicinity shrieking and mangling himself with stones. You know, in the previous story, we found out, is Jesus bigger than my storm? Is he bigger than what is happening in my external life that's so far out of my control? And right here, we're learning, is Jesus bigger than me? No one could contain what was happening inside of this man. There was a violent storm that no one could contain, that, you know, people would try to put shackles on him, and there was so much power coming out of him that supernaturally he would break the chains. And, you know, when not even human control can calm what's happening in your soul, it is wildly hopeless feeling. And, you know, controlling, trying to control our dysfunction will never bring us true freedom. Trying to control the, function, the, the, the dysfunction of a generation will never set it truly free. And, you know, shame wants us to believe. Religion wants us to believe, oh, you just need to do this. You just need to do this. Here's the steps. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And this man's story was nothing is working. Nothing can contain this storm that is out of control inside of me. And, you know, is there a God that's bigger than my pain on the inside is is the question that was reverberating through the torment in this story. And, you know, he he had gotten to the point of mangling himself with stones. And, you know, that's just the definition of self harm. And I know, I know you guys are in the middle of a series on soul health and I love everything about that. And, you know, you know, your soul is in a devastated place when we're harming ourselves. We're harming our own body. And, you know, it's a massive problem in society today, and it's not a new problem. And even in this room today, if, if you know, you or someone you know is dealing with cutting or addiction, that all, all of those are fruits of soul. There is a problem, a deep, painful problem in the soul. And the hope is, is there's room for it in the gospel. There's room for it in the person of Jesus. And, you know, mangling yourself with stones starts on the inside. And maybe some of us can't relate to getting to to the outside of who we are, but we can all relate to a self-harm that starts on the inside of your soul. And, you know, you don't just wake up one day and be in the amount of pain it takes to get to the place of self-harm. You, you're having tiny conversations in your head day after day after day. And at first, it's so normal. God, you're, you're such an idiot. Why did you just do that? And, ah, uh, man, I hate myself for that. I hate that I just did that. I hate this pain that I feel. I hate that I can't get out of this habit. And all of that hate, hate, hate is causing damage to your soul. It's causing damage. It it is self-harm. And there is no room in the gospel for self-hatred. Denying yourself and picking up your cross has nothing to do with self-hatred. Self-hatred is from the pit of hell. Because the devil is the one who hates you. God is a God of love. And if we want to be like God, we have to start with our own soul. And no one has ever gotten free by hating themselves into freedom. If, if this morning you, you have a habit, a sin habit, if uh, you, know, you have issues in your life that you can't get out of and there is a self-hatred perpetuating because of the shame of those issues, continuing to hate yourself will not set you free. You know, we have a hero in the South, Martin Luther King, and he said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And, you know, when we think, man, I I feel the relief of shame when I start to hate myself and for the things I keep doing, that's just partnering with a demonic spirit that has nothing to do with the gospel beginning to wake up in your life. And you know, you know what leads to repentance biblically is kindness. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. There's not, I'm going to chain you up until you repent. I'm going to control you I'm going to put all these rules on your life. None of that leads to true lasting transformation. Kindness leads to repentance. Kindness leads to transformation. And the best thing that you can do when you can't get to a place of freedom is start to be kind. Start to echo. You see what I did there? Start to echo Jesus start to sound like the spirit of the living God. And he's tender and he's forgiving and there's no judgment ever and there's not a sliver of shame in the way that he looks at you. He sees your beginning, your middle and your end and there's not one ounce of judgment in his view of who you are. It was all finished on the cross. And so the best thing you do is put on the humility of Jesus and get as low as your soul is and start to sound like him. I love you. I believe in you. I'm sorry this has been such a wrestle. We're going to make it through this. Let's get some help. Let's tell a friend. Let's let the light in. Let's not let shame bully us around. Let's know we're worth loving in the darkest places of our life. And you know, Jesus was crucified on the first day, and he didn't raise from the dead until the third day. And you know, that second day, it says he went all the way down into Sheol, and he took back the keys from the devil. And he, you know, in Psalm 139, it said, where could I go from your presence? If I ascend up to the highest hill, still you're there. If I descend to the lowest places of hell, still you're there. And we have to understand that Jesus initiated going lower than your soul could ever go. So that no matter the anguish, the pain, the torment you find yourself in, Jesus will be there. He went lower than any human soul could ever go to bankrupt hell. And, you know, we, we, it's stunning to watch the way this, this man had absolutely turned this town upside down. And could you imagine how scary it would be to hear his shrieking? And you know, the ESV says he was naked. So it's not like you would tell your kids, "Hey, let's go let's go take a snack to the man in the cave that's shrieking with no clothes on." You know, he was like completely isolated and everyone was terrified of him. And where does Jesus want to be when he shows up in this community? And It says, when when the man saw Jesus in verse 6 from a distance, he ran to him and threw himself down before him. And in the ESV, that throw yourself down means the man worshiped Jesus. Whoa. And as he throws himself down, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God. So, I mean, this is a stunning picture of what real worship is. He, he's actually falling down in worship while demons are screaming through his voice. And, you know, a spirit of religion wants you to believe, I've got to get set free so I can worship Jesus. I, I gotta get these demons out of me so I can finally be a sold out worshiper to Jesus, lay everything down at his feet, and finally give myself an abandon to the Messiah. But true worship is, I bring all my demons. <laughs> I bring all my pain. I bring all my shame. I bring legions of dysfunction that's going on in my soul. And I throw myself at the feet of the Messiah and say, you are my only hope. We don't get ourselves free so we can be like Jesus. We don't get ourselves free so we can finally live surrendered. We throw ourselves in worship at the feet of Jesus And he makes us free. And, you know, he's shouting as he's worshiping, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And, you know, the demonic of all the things, it could be shouting through a man they've possessed. The demonic is shouting, leave me alone. And, you know, all the way back at the beginning of the garden, there was one thing God said was not good. the stars are good, the sun is good, the man's good, the water's good, 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 good. And then he looked at the man and said, it is not good that you would be alone. And generations of demonic influence have this one goal, let's get man alone. Let's get man isolated. Let's make sure he, he thinks he has to have a ladder to get to Jesus. Let's make sure shame keeps pushing man into corners saying people will never want to see you like that. Jesus will never want to see you like that. Go live in a cave. Be an outcast. Make sure nobody sees you in this state. And it is the absolute strategy of the pit of hell to isolate the people of God. And when you feel shame and you feel torment, the most important thing you need to let your life say is come and see me. Jesus, come and see me. Best friends, come and see me. World, come and see me. You got to err on the opposite side because there is a true force that has come to steal, kill, and destroy your identity by shouting through your life, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. And, and it's not the voice of Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus looks at the demon. He's saying, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God. Swear in God's name, he is God. That you won't torture me. For Jesus had already said to him, come out of that man, you demon spirit. And Jesus said to him, what is your name? Mob, he answered. They call me Mob because there are thousands of us in his body. And he begged Jesus repeatedly not to expel them out of the region. And, you know, is Jesus bigger than legions of demons? Is Jesus bigger than all the overwhelming things that well up inside of our soul? Has anybody ever been in an overwhelming process in your soul? <laughs> You're like that whole in over your head. Like, I don't know where, even where my head went. I'm so in over my head. And the most beautiful thing we can discover in those seasons is who is Jesus to me? Jesus is bigger than me. Jesus is bigger than legions of demons. And The demons start begging Jesus, send us into the pigs, send us into the pigs, send us into the pigs. And, you know, the mercy of Jesus is pointed at anything that has turned you into a beggar. And he actually turns the very thing that has caused you to beg into a beggar itself. And demons are at his feet begging Jesus. And they had turned this man into a beggar. And justice looked like, when you turn my people into beggars, you will pay. (laughs) Just feels so good. You know, this is like Christian recreation. (laughs) That You know, Jesus walked the earth, destroying the works of the devil with intimacy with the Father. And we carry the same mandate that never in your story, Do you have the status of beggar? You don't beg for love. You don't beg for affection. You don't beg for community. You don't beg for revelation. You don't beg for the presence of the living God. He turns what has caused you to feel poor into a beggar itself. And, you know, religion is constantly dangling like a carrot. What you need is just out of reach. What what you crave in your walk with God is just out of reach. You need, you need one more conference. You need one more session of snot and tears. And I love all those sessions. All, all, I love it all. I don't love it all when it causes a poverty in our spirit. Because the very heartbeat of the gospel is you are rich. You are rich. And nothing and no one can keep you from the fullness of what the gospel has purchased for you, that you get 100 percent access to the presence of God a hundred percent of the time. You are not a beggar. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. And you know, he sends the pigs after I'm sure he fully enjoyed that moment. I'm sure he delayed. The begging, watching the demonic recognize he's the Messiah and they have no chance. You know, (laughs) Graham Cook says the first time, the first thing you should do when you recognize the demonic is active in your life is laugh. That's all you got. (laughs) You can listen to the podcast and catch that later. Okay. (laughs) Um, So they begged Jesus repeatedly not to expel them out of the region. And nearby there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the demon horde immediately came out of the man and went into the pigs. This caused the herd to rush madly down the steep slope and fall into the lake, drowning about 2,000 pigs. This was like a massive economic loss. It was like thousands and thousands of dollars. And it says, Now the herdsmen fled to the nearby villages, telling everyone what they saw as they ran through the countryside. And everyone came out to see what had happened. And when they found Jesus, they saw the demonized man sitting there, properly clothed and in his right mind. Seeing what had happened to the man who had thousands of demons, the people were terrified. Those who had witnessed this miracle reported what had happened to the pigs. And then they asked Jesus to leave their region. And, you know, the kingdom coming upon us looks like us sitting in our right mind talking to Jesus. But there is no greater manifestation of the kingdom coming upon us than I'm having an intimate conversation healed and whole in my right mind with the king. And the most beautiful thing about the kingdom is the king. And he he is absolutely the heartbeat of the kingdom. And he, he came declaring the kingdom is at hand because it was his hand. And the king was there. And, you know, Your intimacy with Jesus will never be a side benefit of the kingdom. Your intimacy with Jesus is the heartbeat of the kingdom. And the kingdom had come upon this man and it was freaking everybody out because he was sitting in his right mind, clothed, having a conversation with Jesus. And your intimacy with Jesus is a manifestation that you are living in the kingdom. And there's nothing that can ever be uh, elevated higher than I have continual access to a conversation with Jesus. That if it's been a good day, I have 100% access to a conversation with Jesus. If it's been a bad day, I have 100% access to a conversation with Jesus. And, you know, feeling your confidence to boldly come before the throne, rise and fall based on how you're doing, is just good information with where you're at in your belief in the gospel. Because nothing you do gives you more or less access to be sitting clothed in your right mind, Talking to Jesus. And, you know, everyone in the community valued their economy more than they valued Jesus just showed up. They just saw a massive miracle. And it was messy. And it turned everything upside down. And, you know, if you're wondering if God is moving in your life, you just need to look around and see, are things feeling messy? Because if things are feeling messy, that's the greatest indicator that Jesus is doing something. (laughs) Are people unhappy? Jesus is probably doing something. (laughs) Are people giving me a lot of feedback about how I'm failing them? Jesus is probably doing something. And, you know, sometimes what what the Pharisees missed was they thought a king was going to come high and mighty imperfection. And, you know, all of these ideas of how put together the king was going to be. And he came to get dirty. He came to live low. He came to put on a brown robe and wash gross feet. And he was wildly offensive. And you know to be a people that want to live inside a value for the presence of Jesus we're going to have to get uncomfortable with being out of control we're going to be we're going to have to we're going to have to be comfortable with being out of control we're going to have to be comfortable with things being messy we're going to have to be able to keep our peace when people are upset because that's super normal life in revival and it takes time It takes time to get to know a Jesus that's so far out of our box of what normal should look like. And, you know, the people in this community saw an extraordinary miracle and were not able to go low enough to value presence above their economic loss. And there will be opportunities throughout all of our stories to realign our value system again and again, that my heart is set on presence. And no matter what this costs me, it could never be greater than living in the presence of Jesus and having the presence of Jesus. And so the they asked Jesus to leave the region. And as Jesus began to get into the boat to depart, the man who had been set free from the demons asked him, "Could I go with you?" And you know you could just imagine, there's all this chatter. We want Jesus out of here. We just lost all this money,. Da, 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 da. And he's like standing there. I mean, I was like wildly tormented. like that was my life. I lived in a cave. I, I was harming myself. I was an outcast. I couldn't, think, I couldn't think a thought inside of peace. And the entire community is in an angry uproar because they lost their pigs. And if you can imagine being this man in that moment, they care more about pigs than they care about me. And the most obvious response as Jesus is getting in the boat is, can I come? Please let me come, you know. And... Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus looks at him and says, no. <laughs> if you've walked with Jesus for more than two days, you have been wildly challenged by his responses to some of your questions. I, I definitely thought love looked like yes. <laughs> and you are the standard of perfect love. And you just said no. You know, and Steve Backlund, who I heard is coming here soon. Phenomenal. He says, uh, you know, we get into the kingdom by believing in Jesus. But we're transformed in the kingdom by starting to think like Jesus. And we can't start to think like Jesus until we keep bumping into our offenses. And it, it, you can get into the kingdom in one moment. Right up here, you could come up here. And this is why altars are beautiful. Because all of eternity is changed in one moment. And we're intended to have things in our life that we get in one moment. And there we're intended to have things in our life that we, we cannot get in one moment. You cannot learn the nature of Jesus in one moment. It will actually take thousands And thousands and thousands. It will actually take eternity to learn the nature of Jesus because he is inexhaustible. And we have to learn the ways of humility if we constantly want to be learning the ways of Jesus. Because I am not like him and he is not like me. (laughs) And success The definition of true success in Christian living is becoming like Jesus. It's not how many people we see raised from the dead. It's not uh, what happens in our ministry. it's, It's none of those things. All of those things are fruit of this one definition of success. Am I becoming like Jesus? And it is the goal of our entire life. Mold me, make me. Nothing, is the, it, nothing in your life is wasted when your goal and purpose is make me like you. Make me like you. And so he says no and, and says, go back to your family and tell them what the Lord has done for you tell them how he had mercy on you. So the man left and went into the region of Jordan and parts of Syria to tell everyone he met about what Jesus had done for him. And all the people marveled. And you know, Jesus said, no, I want you to go back. Go back where your story began. Go back your home. Go back where all of the dysfunction and all of the torment, there was a story that got you there. And I want you to go all the way back to the beginning. And you know what I want you to be carrying? I want you to be carrying mercy. And I want you to inform every part from the beginning. Look what Jesus has done. And, you know, it is wildly exciting when Jesus tells us where we're going forward. And it takes courage and risk. But the prophetic makes us come alive. And, yes, I'm going there. But its it takes just as much faith to go back. To, to carry the mercy of Jesus to the beginning of your story. And go backwards. And inform Every part of your soul, look what mercy has done. Look what mercy has done. And only Jesus can turn a man like this into a marvel. It said everybody marveled. And, you know, you're, you are not marvelous because of a scale of how your story compares to somebody else's. You know, this is a marvelous story. Like thousands of demons and he's completely set free from an encounter with Jesus. But your story will never be measured on a marvel scale. Because you have an intimate God. You have an intimate God. And nobody in all of history needs Jesus more than you. Nobody in all of history needs Jesus less than you. All of humanity needs needs mercy, needs the mercy of Jesus, and you are a marvel because mercy became intimate and personal to you, and you know, when we when we find ourselves measuring the significance of how, how marvelous we are against somebody else's story, we have lost intimacy. We have lost realizing, oh, there's there's actually a God writing this story. I, I'm not just making this up as I go along. There's a God intimately fashioning my story, my redemption, my mercy. And, and you know, if we can just all stand up, I'm just going to end with this story. I have a, I have a six-year-old who uh, is stunning in every way and her name is Liberty, and for Christmas, uh, we got her a powered scooter. She was five at the time, and it went really fast, and we didn't realize it was going to go as fast as it went, so on Christmas Day, she's like, uh, I can't ride that, and (laughs) it was like, I'm like, babe, that was a Christmas fail. We just had a Christmas fail, and so months and months went by, and she was afraid to ride her scooter. Nobody else could ride it, but she was afraid to ride it. And so I was in the house this summer just, just a few weeks ago and, you know, doing stuff. And she came in. She's like, Mom, I got to show you something. And it's real big. It is a really big deal. So come out when you're ready. And so, <laughs> I, so I come out. And she has her little unicorn head helmet on, it's rainbow, and it has a horn sticking out the top, and she's in her swimsuit because, you know, we swim everywhere in Georgia Georgia, because it's so humid, and she had been practicing all by herself riding this power scooter, and she's like, you ready for this, mom? I'm like, I'm ready. I wouldn't miss this for the world, and so she pushes the power, and she's like, yeah, goes all the way to the end of the driveway, turns around and comes back. And she looks at me, she's like, mom, was that amazing? Or was that like, whoa? <laughs> and I was like, that was whoa. And I meant it with my whore, like that was whoa. And as she was riding her scooter, there's just a stranger guy coming down our cul-de-sac with his car. And I guarantee you, he did not look at the little girl on her scooter and think, whoa, there's a girl on her scooter. That's awesome. He did not marvel at her in any way, shape or form. He might not even notice her. He was probably thinking, I need some lunch. And listen, if we get our affirmation that you are marvelous from Joe Nobody, who's in the cul-de-sac, who doesn't know your story, who doesn't know I was afraid of this scooter, and I just worked on it all by myself. That being a marvel comes from who your father is, not from the earth thinking you're marvelous. It comes from your intimate connection, that there is a God who is walking with you and talking with you. He is studying and memorizing Every part of who you are and he sits on the bench and literally says, "Whoa, whoa." And if we're hanging on to the opinion of the guy in the cul-de-sac who doesn't give a care, we will constantly live unaware, your mercy is marvelous, the personal, intimate mercy of Jesus that he is piled in your life, not just. One time, but every single morning, you're getting intimate, new, refreshing mercy. And you know what that makes you in the earth? That makes you a marvel. And so, Jesus, I just thank you for everybody in this space. And I just thank you for this season of emphasizing soul health. And I thank you that of all the things we can get in a day, soul health is absolutely never going to be one of them. We just thank you for the years we anguished, thinking it it could be gotten in a day. And we just thank you for the opportunity to realize soul health comes morning by morning, walking with you, talking with you in the cool of the day. And so I just pray for a grace to come over all of us, to wake up aware every morning of what mercy has done of what mercy has given us access to. And I I just release an intimacy with you that turns our world inside out, upside down, and that it actually gives Jesus his full reward. That we would be people that you look at and you take a sigh of relief. that They are satisfying the price that I paid. That no part of our life would be living mediocre when you paid such an extraordinary price that we could know you intimately, wildly, outrageously. And so I, I just pray that, that this house would be famous for walking with God and that every ounce of fruit that comes out of this house would be the abiding kind would be the eternal kind, would be the kind that comes from resting in God. And, and I just release a blessing all across this place to see your smile over every area of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, it has been a joy to be with you. Love you, love you.